Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Piller. Nice to see the Sens back in the news today. The unveiling of the Senators Community Foundation. We'll get into that. Give a one-arm salute to the man who was appointed as captain of the project. And did we get some hints at when the new uniforms might drop? That and the Vegas Golden Knights, the Sens Central Choice at a Stanley Cup. They won their first game. We'll look into the night that was, including the longest overtime almost in modern day history. Just a few seconds off. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast. Your team every day. Today is Wednesday, August 12th. We're going to get into Blue Team Excuse Day at the end of the episode. Stay tuned for that as well. But Pilsy, the Senators Community Foundation has been unveiled. Yeah, and just finally some good news is great for the Senators. And the biggest thing here, we have a former Senators alumni, someone who's been with the organization their entire career, Chris Phillips, is going to be the director of the Senators Community Foundation. And This is great because this kind of opens the door for other former players to come back and stay with the Senators in some sort of capacity. And I think this is great for Chris Phillips, too, because him and his wife, Aaron, they've done lots of charity work before. Um, Mostly what I'm seeing is they've worked with children's hospitals and cancer-related charities. So I think they're the right people to kind of be the face of this. And we'll see how this goes when as it uh, moves along here because... The Senators, they really needed to kind of, from a PR perspective, needed to save face on their charity. So I think this is a big win for Senators PR. Yeah, and there was a good interview today with Chris Phillips at Brewer Arena. Uh, Anthony LeBlanc was there too, and he had some news surrounding the um, new uniform. Gary Ock saying um, that the plan, I guess, remains the same. Is that what you'd like to see, have it be at the draft? I mean, we've waited this long. You have to unveil these jerseys at the draft. Your picks three and five got to be wearing the home and away. And then the third pick can be wearing the alternate jersey. And that's how you unveil it. Because, like, make a show out of this. We've been waiting so long for this. Don't just put out a bland, generic tweet on social media saying, here are your new jerseys or whatever. Like, be be excited about this and really flare it up for the rest of the NHL and get Sens fans excited about not only the New York uniforms, well, going back to the retro 2D, but with a new spin on it, but also ushering in this new era of Ottawa Senators players with these three first-round draft picks. That's going to be epic when that happens. Yeah, the players who will be wearing those uniforms for hopefully years and championships to come. But credit to the Senators. The Senators Community Foundation has been unveiled. Their mandate, of course, is to bring as much money they can back into the Ottawa community for all sorts of different charitable organizations, local being the key for that. So that's great to hear for them. And uh, we wish them nothing but success. We'll be sure to update you on anything that comes out regarding for fundraisers or whatever the case may be. But Pilsy, how'd you get through that game last night? It started at 3 o'clock and it finished after 9.30. We couldn't even start the Carolina-Boston game. And what a weird, weird little wrinkle in what's already a weird NHL playoffs is 
you got one arena for each conference. So normally this would never happen. Sure, maybe it messes up the TV times and the broadcast schedules, but you're still getting on the ice and playing. But when the longest overtime game that I've ever witnessed uh, happens, that kind of throws a wrinkle in the plan. Luckily it did, though, because we got to have some early morning puck today, which is always a blessing. But talk about the performances in this overtime game. Like when you're looking at a guy who makes 80 Five saves in Corpus Allo. As a Leafs fan, you can at least be like, like, okay, if someone was going to beat us and shut the door on an elimination day, at least it was that guy. Then, Ross, we pumped the tires of Thomas Shabbat when he played that monster game. What was it, 38 and a half minutes or something? Yeah, in Tampa. Yeah, so try pretty much doubling that for Seth Jones. Over 65 minutes. And another one that doesn't hasn't got talked about too much how about Victor Hedman? But he played 57 minutes. Like, that's insane. Like, for these coaches, Cooper and Tortorella, to be able to rely on their top defensemen like that, and for Seth Jones after the game to be like, yeah, I could have kept playing, like, whatever. That is incredible, and that's exactly what playoff hockey is about. And ironically, this is game one of round one. They got a long way to go, so they got to keep those legs fresh somehow if this keeps happening. Two and a half games of NHL hockey. Are they starting midway through game three uh, when they return here tomorrow as we're recording after the Carolina and Boston game? Boston also coming out on top, and I'm starting to see a trend pillar. And yeah, goalies can stand on their head. Corpus did just that. But the better team, I think, skill-wise, the higher-skilled team now, I think, is 2-0 and in these extended overtimes. Yeah, and the Boston Bruins, like, I think the Hurricanes came out real hot, which is surprising because they hadn't played since August 4th. So they were sitting, chilling in the bubble for quite some time, but they came out hot. And Boston, eventually, they figured out the pace of the game. They slowed things down, and they got a lot of the shots and were controlling a lot of possession, even though Carolina was uh, out-hitting them like crazy, which is very contrary to Boston's usual playoff performance. Like, usually they're the ones bullying other teams, but they were able to get this done, and we talked about it off-air, Ross. Peter Morazic was so out of position on that Bergeron OT goal that... Like, that's going to go in no matter who's shooting it, let alone an absolute legend like Patrice Bergeron. So if they're going to beat the Boston Bruins, he's going to have to tighten that up, especially in OT when the top line, probably in hockey, is on the ice. So the Hurricanes, they're down one, but I think they're, they're a good match for the Bruins, and this series is probably going all the way to seven. Peter Mrazek, as Ottawa hockey fans know from his time with the 67s, is an athletic freak. Like He can move around the net and makes some crazy athletic saves because of it. But there's also times where he overslides, and that was a prime example on the Bergeron shot. Is, uh, he was a one-cross-ice pass to a right-handed shot on the right side. You get enough time to go over there, but he slid so far over that he was halfway out of the net. And for Bergeron, that is about as easy as a two-foot tap-in. So he was able to end that one uh, pretty quickly. What else? To, um, I guess we got to get to the last night's game, the one that was overshadowed because it only lasted the regular three periods. And it was another win for Sens Abroad goaltender Robin Leonard. Who would have thought he started game one, but not Ben Bishop? And we ended last episode with a note on Ben Bishop saying that um, saying he was unfit to play in the last round Robin game. We knew that he was out for game one, but it turned out he was backing up. So was that 
uh, a situation where they just decided to go with Anton Kudobin? I mean, there's probably more than meets the eye to that uh, decision because, yeah, that seems like a head-scratcher on paper. Bishop is one of the, I would say, one of the best goalies in the entire league. But Kudobin, on the flip side, is probably one of the best backups in the entire league. So if you know he's been playing... Uh, he's feeling a little more fresh than Bishop. Maybe Bishop isn't quite ready to go, but he would be available if kind of the like everything collapsed on the stars and they had to put him in and get Kadobin out. Maybe that's the situation. But I don't think Kadobin actually played that terrible. Like it was a close game. He made a couple decent saves. And if you're the Dallas Stars, you don't feel that nervous about throwing Kadobin in because he's been solid for you all year. So. Tough loss for the Stars on Game 1, but again, this is another series I think is going to be close, and they could easily come back and win next game. It certainly was, and if you listened to yesterday's episode, I asked Parley if we could see some fireworks between the OG rat and the New Age rat, and that's uh, happened seven minutes into the game with Matthew Gachuk and Corey Perry uh, throwing pretty good, good-spirited tilt. Um, but I got way off track there because I le- led into that talking about Robin Leonard getting the win for Vegas. <laughs> and then we just went all the way to Ben Bishop. But it was a surprise that Ben Bishop wasn't in the lineup. So before we get to Vegas and the beginning of their run to the COVID Cup, we have to tell you about Rock Auto. It's the family business that sells auto parts online and they're trusted. Look, they've been doing it for 20 years. They have everything you need for any sort of car, your classic or your daily driver. They have engine control modules and brake parts and tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. Just a few easy clicks away. Look, I'm telling you, they're delivered directly to your door too, so you don't have to worry about going and getting anything. It's all taken care of, hassle-free. Go to rockauto.com right now and look at their remarkably easy-to-navigate catalog and quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. That way, you'll choose the brand's specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, yeah, I haven't even gotten to the best part yet, the price. The prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? I know I wouldn't. I know Pillar wouldn't because we go to rockauto.com and you can too right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. All we ask of you is that you put locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they'll know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Okay, Robin Leonard, 19 saves, 20 shots, but the offense carried Vegas to an easy 4-1 win over Chicago. I mean, the Hawks hung around. I guess you could say that. Yeah, Vegas, they're just too strong. And Riley Smith had a really good game. Uh, Shea Theodore, that's a guy who I think kind of gets overlooked just because Vegas isn't really known for having like a solid decor. But I thought he had a really good game too. But the crazy thing about this game, Robin Leonard may be looking at a new pair of skates. Like having that happen twice as a goalie, that's pretty scary, and it definitely throws you off your game because you're, like, in the back of his mind, he's got to be thinking, like, oh, crap, like, what if I hit the post again and this buckles off and they end up scoring? But to go from a safety point of view, like, let's say it pops off, he's not really sure about it, 
And then he goes in his butterfly or goes to slide and puts pressure on it, thinking he's got a sheet of metal there in between his feet and the ice, and he doesn't. You're looking at a possible sprained ankle, uh, serious ankle problems, maybe even a, like an, a leg injury of any sort. So having your skate blade bust off as a goalie is pretty dangerous. It's dangerous as a player, too. I'm glad they were able to convince the refs to blow it down once play kind of left the zone. Luckily, there wasn't a goal that happened while he was without a blade, because I think that would have been a, a really weird situation. But... Uh, yeah, I think Vegas, aside from that weird skate stuff, Vegas is going to definitely take care of the Blackhawks. And this time, I, w- I will say this series probably won't go the distance. Vegas is going to clean this up nice and quickly. Yeah, their Marsh so Smith Carlson uh, line was buzzing last night. Um, Stastny, Stone, Pacioretty back together as well. Just so deep up front. And that fourth line chipping in offensively uh, on a goal that many thought could have been called back on on the Reeves' uh, foot. Almost looked like it was offside there. And the challenge was unsuccessful. Um, that was a bit of a surprise to me, but Will Carrier and then the the young uh, Nicole, Nicola Roy, uh the three of them really get in on the forecheck and bang bodies. So Vegas, one win closer. 15 left until they're hosting that COVID Cup. An unusually quiet night for Stonesy, though. Um, not too much to, to write home about. Just an average game, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, nothing crazy. Um, to be honest, as uh, Senators fans, and he was one of our favorites, just anytime Mark Stone is on the ice, I end up like, like in the back of my mind just ISO-camming him because he's just such an exciting player to watch. And his hockey IQ is through the roof. Like, he's just doing these little passes to break out of the zone that you're not going to see on a highlight real play anywhere, but it's those little things over and over and over that he always does right that you don't even notice anymore because he's always doing them. It's not anything uh, extraordinary when he's making those plays. So, sure, on the stat sheet and uh, to the eye test, maybe he didn't do anything extraordinary, but... He was still playing his game, and I think we're going to see a lot of Mark Stone in this playoffs. I'm right with you on that parlay for Stone, Con Smythe, and Vegas uh, Cup winner because you know if they make it all the way there, he's going to be a big part of that. Yeah, just one shot on goal for Stone last night. He was a minus one, surprisingly, in a 4-1 win and played 18 minutes and 42 seconds from his former teammate and i'm pretty sure they have a connection i want to say that stone's fiance is sisters with cody cc's wife that so how's that for a transition into blue team press conference day at the end of the season where kyle dubas said that the leafs have inside data to suggest that cody cc is hashtag actually good what kind of numbers pillar could he possibly be talking about i feel like when you're reading that sentence we need a laugh track behind it or some 100%. sort of in, some sort of in studio uh uh hooting and hollering because that is just ridiculous like what is he talking about <laughs> i mean we're not the stats guys that's for sure uh, i think you and i tend to rely on the the eye test a lot more than Corsi and all these fancy stats seeing as we're absolutely trash at math but I don't know what kind of stats they're digging into to prove this because to everyone else, other than the management of the teams that have and are employing Cody Cece, he seems god-awful. And everyone thinks, 
oh, no, he's not that bad. Like, the Leafs fans, when he came over, they were like, oh, he's way better than Zaitsev. Thank God, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't know about that. And if you're looking at re-signing Cody Ceci, I think that's that's going to be laughable at this point, especially when the Leafs are up against the cap. Although, Dubas says they're not up against the cap. So, that's not a problem, I guess. Yeah, we're going to play a little power ranking in a moment, but here's the quote from Kyle Dubas on Cody Ceci saying, I know he's much maligned at times, and he certainly doesn't have the same levels of puck skill, but in the value we place on defensemen and within the metrics we used, he's looked at far differently, and more data would point towards his value. So that was one of the blatant, like, huh? Okay, power rankings time. Which of these statements from Kyle Dubas was most preposterous today from his press conference? Claiming that the fans cannot properly evaluate Cody Ceci. Saying that his team, who is $4.5 million again, um, until the cap, without two defensemen signed on their NHL roster and two bottom six forwards, or that they don't, he said, I don't understand criticizing Mitch Marner, who who said today, by the way, that he was not engaged physically in game one, didn't score in the series, and is making $11 million. He doesn't understand why that player deserves criticism. Or that he said Tyson Berry's trade was... The only reason why it was bad is that Tyson Berry, he didn't do a good enough job of acclimating Tyson Berry to the Leafs quickly enough. Well, I... I think uh, going by your tone, you want me to go with one of the later ones so we can get into that discussion. We can get into it after, but I'm sticking with the CC one. Like, that is just ridiculous. And as far as the cap space goes, like, really, you could just sign a bunch of low, low, low risk, low dollar amount contracts to fill those roster spaces if you had to or bring some guys up from the Marley. So, I mean... He's, he's going to have to. He's going to have to make it work. So the cap thing is going to solve itself one way or another, whether it's a good way for the Leafs or a bad way. The Mitch Marner criticism, I think that's maybe just him trying to stand up for his guy, especially after it looked like Mitch Marner was, was pretty down on himself, uh, rightfully so, after this series. So I think that's just kind of a, a little tip to his cap to Marner there. And the Tyson Berry stuff, like it, Tyson Berry wasn't working with Babcock, clearly. So you made that coaching switch, and then it seemed like he was working right off the hop with Sheldon Keefe. I think he had two goals in his first game with him, but then that didn't work either. So what like, what else could have you have done that you didn't do? You tried switching coaches, didn't work. I think Tyson Berry just didn't fit into that system. And it's a damn shame for Tyson Berry because he's coming off a contract year where I think he was expecting to make big bucks in the offseason. I don't know if that's going to happen now. He's a right-hand shot defenseman. They're always coveted. Like, could he even make four million in a in a deal right now? I think so- someone will give him that for sure. Someone will give well, him that. Will he get the term? I don't think so. I think maybe he'll get a one or two year deal. Kind of, you know, like kind of like Gardner. Like Gardner dropped off. The Leafs didn't want to pay him. He ended up staying a free agent almost right down to the wire till the the Hurricanes got him for probably less than Gardner wanted. Uh, he turned down a deal with Montreal, apparently. So I think Barry's going to have a short-term deal, but he definitely missed out on what could have been a massive deal. Okay, well, I have a great question for you then, and I think I think I know your answer. I think I know a lot of fans' answers, but I want you to think as an NHL GM, which Leafs UFA defenseman will get more total dollars on their next contract? 
a 29-year-old Tyson Berry or a 27-year-old Cody Ceci? Is this if it's with the Leafs or in no. general? No, overall, yeah. wherever they sign. I'm hoping Tyson Berry because if Cody Ceci gets more than $4.5 which is what he got this year. Well, think about it, though. Tyson Berry had half his contract kept by Colorado, so he was only against the cap 2.75. So by that metric, CC was making four point five this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think in free agency, right hand shot defenseman. I think They're Barry's. Both. Gonna, yeah, but I don't know. I just I don't see other teams going after Cody CC that hard. But maybe this is some sort of secret chat that NHL uh, general managers and hey, you said you told me to think like an NHL GM. So you know what? Maybe I have those stats in my back pocket. Yeah. CC's making $8 million for the next six years because he's really good if you don't look at his puck control and uh, other bad qualities. Yeah, like missing the net 25 feet on a shot in overtime. Hey, sometimes he misses the net and it goes in, though. You don't know sure. if that's a strategy or not. That's so funny that he had a shorthanded goal. Maybe we'll have to put that to a poll, Pilsy. Who is going to make more money this offseason, CeCe or Tyson Berry? The results of that would be interesting. Something else found interesting, last note before we take off here on the Locked On Senators podcast, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Jim Rutherford, the opposite of Kyle Dubas. He said that was unacceptable. The team wasn't ready. There will be changes, and the first changes have been made. And this is tough because... Usually when things go wrong, who gets the hammer and who gets the axe? The coaches. But this time, it was the trio of assistant coaches and some pretty some big, big names, names on there, too. Some big names, some former Sens guys. And, Ross, I told you about this earlier. I would love to entertain the idea of bringing Sergei Gonchar as an assistant coach for the Ottawa Senators because think about these young defensemen that are going to be coming up through the pipes I'm mostly thinking about offensive defensemen, puck-moving defensemen. Like Shabbat is already there, already dominating. Brandstrom's coming up. Lassie Thompson. So, and Lannan. Yeah, let's, yeah, well, Lannon. And let's not forget whoever they end up drafting in uh, one of the first three rounds. So I think Gonchar would make a nice addition to this team. And Chris Phillips opened the door a little bit for uh, Sens alumni to come back in. Come on in, Sergey Gonchar. Come back to Ottawa. So Sergey Gonchar... Jacques Martin and Mark Recchi, the three coaches let go by Pittsburgh. Jacques Martin had been on that Pittsburgh bench for a long time, like a long time. So Jacques Martin, um, he actually interviewed for the Sens job. Remember that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's a, an interesting note. So I'm sure that his fire is still burning to get back in the NHL. And whenever I hear Mark Recchi's name, I always bring up this stat because I think it's so incredible. You know that he is one of the one of I'm assuming. The only players. He has three Stanley Cups. They all came in different decades. Yeah. 93 with Pittsburgh. Or sorry, 92. No, 93 with Montreal. Yeah. 2006 with Carolina. And 2011 with the Boston Bruins. How about we end you with that stat? All right. That's Brandon Piller. I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, where we've got your team every day. Every day.